Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Starting off with family disappointments, I want to share that disappointments that come from our family hurt deeper than any other disappointment. Disappointments that come from our family hurt deeper than any other disappointment. Starting off in Genesis chapter 27, we're really beginning in uh, the look at what Esau's life was like with his twin brother, Jacob. There's this, uh, I want us to start off with this very, this is like a foundational verse that we're going to be looking back to. And it's, uh, it's right after Jacob stole Esau's first right blessing. And it says, Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. That's the, that's, that last sentence is what really astounds me. He has this like, instead of a blessing, he gets a curse. And it says, when you decide to, when you decide to break free, you will shake your brother's yoke from your neck. And it gives this imagery of freedom being a choice. When you choose to, when you decide, you can have freedom. And my heart in today's message is to really unpack what Isaac was telling his son and what he meant when he shared this part to him. So now let's, let's back up a little bit further to where we see Jacob and Esau's first interactions in life. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 through 28, it says, As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because... He enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. This first imagery that we have of Esau and Jacob. Now, just to clarify, they're twin brothers, but Esau came out first. And so even though they were twins, he was declared the firstborn. Had all of the, the burden of the firstborn responsibilities within this culture. And I want to point out, that not only does he have this constant burden of feeling like he has to live up to this title of being the firstborn, but he also has this need of his father's approval. And he, you, right in this first verse, it shows this conditional relationship between his parents. Notice that it says that Jacob, that Isaac loved Esau because, because he performed, because he did something, he went out and hunted. And because he did that, he loved him. There's a condition to that love. But then it says, Rebecca loved Jacob, period. And we see that motherly, unconditional love that was favored towards Jacob. Do parents love both their kids? Of course. But here we see the first instance of favoritism. And this, this moment, I want us to really unpack this scenario Jacob is always at home with his parents while Esau is always outside hunting and gathering. And 
I want you to think about this this feeling that that Esau has with his family members. Think about all the times at the dinner table where they're recounting their day and they have their inside moments, their inside jokes. And Esau is the only one that doesn't get it. He's the only one that doesn't get the joke. He's the only one that doesn't understand completely what happened that day. And while they're all growing and bonding all day together at home, Esau is isolated by himself outside. He's sweating outside, doing what he can, while everybody else is getting closer together as a family. There has to be somebody listening to this that identifies with that feeling like you don't fit in with your family, that you have a conditional relationship with one of your parents, that only when you do what they say and only when you are good with your grades, only when you X, Y, Z, whatever, do you feel like they love you. This is Esau's life. As we continue on, it says in Genesis, right after this, this verse, in 25 verses 29 through 34, it says, One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness. Exhausted and hungry, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. And he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. So, dude, this is, this is a part where most people just braze over and say, see, Esau was dumb. He made it. How could he do that? Um, no wonder he, he, his brother stole uh, the birthright to him. He so easily gave it up. Let's back up for a second. Because what we see, this isn't a moment. Let's really unpack this story. This is a moment where he was out all day hunting. And I want you to think about just any time that you've been hungry or tired or you've been exasperated. It says that he was exhausted and hungry. There's no, there's no Denny's on the way home. There's no, there's no Gatorades at the convenience store. I mean, just if you've ever done any general labor, any hard labor, if you've been outside, if you had to replace some tires, when you are exhausted, you, you're like, man, I'm so done. This is, this is in a world where it's completely different to where he's not just driving home like, man, I'm so tired. He's having to walk home after being exhausted, chasing animals all day. And as he's on the brink of exhaustion to the point of like where he, the way it's describing is he's at the point of collapsing to where he literally, when he says I'm dying of starvation, he literally feels like he's dying. He's not just exaggerating. He's at the point of utter exhaustion, about to collapse. And if you, if just that alone, think about how much little, much less judgment we use when we're just hangry. I can be, I can make a rash decision just because I'm hungrier than normal. And I'll respond out of impulse, out of anger, out of whatever, just because I'm hungry. And I'm not even exhausted or famished. I'm just like, I'm just kind of hungry right now, I'm like, and I'm irritated. 
how much more is he not able to use the, the, the judgment sensors of his brain to realize what's really going on as his brother is like uh, <laughs> trying to steal his birthright? Did you know that even in, in special forces training, that part of their training where most, most uh, trainees fall off is when they, when they have to do intellectual work on the brink of, of having no sleep at all, of being completely physically exhausted. They have parts in their training to where they ha after being completely drained of sleep, completely drained of food, exasperated, they have them translate words from Latin and Greek. And it's at moments like that to where it really tests the mind and body. The reason I'm expounding on this is to just get us to the point of how weak Esau is physically in this moment, mentally in this moment. And what does his brother do? He takes advantage of this weak moment. This is where it's going to hit for some, a lot of you. In this moment of complete weakness, his brother manipulates and and uses their relationship to take from him think about that for a moment and to the point where esau thought he was joking he's like man what good is it i'm gonna die if you don't if, if i don't eat and he's like yeah but swear to me like he was literally taken back thinking that was a joke that's how absurd it was for him to ask that and now I want you to think about situations you've experienced with your families to where a family member asked you something to where it literally made you feel confused. Well, just do this for me. And you're like, why, why, would, they want, why would they ask me to lie for them? Why would they ask me to, like, to do this for them when like, it's wrong or it's, that's going to really put me out? Why would they ask me to do that? And feeling so confused about doing something you wouldn't do for anybody else and the only reason you're, you're thinking about it is because this family member asked you. And now bring in the times where a family member used something to hold over you, to hang over your head in order to try to force you to, to give them what they wanted. This is a huge family disappointment that so many of us have experienced. And you're thinking about that situation right now, it's getting you all angry all over again. And this is a moment where his brother is completely just, just, just using him, manipulating him. And it's one of the most narcissistic, selfish actions that he has over his brother that we see in Scripture between a brother and a brother. And I want to also point out that as he was making stew, it's like, boy, that's what you do at home. I'm outside. I get the food. You cook it. Like, like give me some of that. And... and this isn't like a situation where he just got himself a bowl and he was warming it up in the microwave. No, this is a time where when they made food, it was for the whole family. They made a big batch for everybody to eat. It wasn't just single serving meals. And so the fact that he was withholding food from him, it wasn't even his to hold back. It wasn't his, his place or right to withhold that food from him. This is supposed to be a family environment where this, this is like his role to share it. And so everything about this story shows Jacob completely abusing and manipulating his brother's relationship. Let's, let's go on. It says in the next set, in a couple of verses down, it says at the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, and Basameth the daughter of Elon. But Esau's wives made life miserable 
for Isaac and Rebekah. We see the first confrontations happening between in-laws, <laughs> where in the, the parents are not getting along with the person somebody married. I didn't think it was possible, right? <laughs> it, this is a moment that is so, um, so common in so many families, so many marriages. And it, um, now just really unpack more and more about how Esau feels like the misfit. He feels like the disappointment that not even his wives are getting along with his family. Not even his wives are getting along with his parents. And so you, you see this, this um, just this constant struggle Esau is having with not being able to fit in with his family, not being able to fit in with, um, with, his, uh, with his parents. And I want you to really resonate with all of these disappointments that Esau is feeling. Es Esau is going through some traumas. And, and even in, in his marriage, even with the people that he chooses, now he's having all of these comments and fights at home and thinking just like, man, nowhere can this guy find peace. So as, as you're resonating with these disappointments of Esau, I want us to, I want us to look at what these, these disappointments lead to. And that's personal prisons, personal prisons. We often, we imprison our own souls by the grudges and traumas that we refuse to heal from. Let me say that again. We imprison our own souls from the grudges and the traumas that we refuse to heal from. Starting off with the grudge, I... I was debating whether to use the word revenge or the word grudge. I'm going to say grudge because we often don't seek revenge from our family members. We just hold that grudge there. We, we have it so deep in our hearts, but whenever we see them at Thanksgiving, which is coming up, right? We, we just, we don't seek revenge. We don't poison the, the potato salad. We don't poison the, the sweet potato casserole represent Lauren. Um, we don't poison it and get revenge over them. We don't. We we simply just hold that grudge in our hearts and either avoid them or or just act like nothing happened. But as soon as we leave, like, can you believe that they said that? Can you believe she had the nerve to do this, to do that? And we just hold that grudge there. And in Genesis twenty seven forty one, this is right after Esau had his blessing stolen from his. Father Jacob, uh, from from his brother Jacob, and Isaac just gave this whole uh, said that I was going to give you the blessing, but your brother tricked me, and he disguised himself as you, and because Isaac is blind at this point, and he made me give that blessing to him instead of you, Esau. And so at this point, where one of the most special look forward things he uh, he was looking forward to was stolen from him. He says in verse 41, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. <laughs> How many of us have said that about somebody when we're laying in bed at night, just thinking and replaying this situation over and over? And like, man, I should have hit them. I should have done this. I should have done that. And here Esau is to the point where he's like, I'm going to kill him. That's it. I'm going to kill him. And 
I want us to think about that grudge. And when we hold a grudge over somebody, have you noticed that it, that person ends up following you everywhere you go? What happens is you think that you're putting them in this prison like, yeah, you did this wrong to me. But then everywhere you go, you're bringing that, that hurt and that pain and that person with you. If, if you've met anybody that's holding a grudge, it could be years later and they're still at that Thanksgiving like, yeah, well, th they always talk like that. They're talking about their ex-husband still. <laughs> it's years later. And just one little comment, one little action, like, yeah, that's just like what he would do. <laughs> and it's like, you bring that person that, you, that hurts you so much everywhere when you hold on to that grudge. And you end up, while you intend to imprison them, you actually imprison yourself. The other thing that is just the huge prison we see in families is people-pleasing. People-pleasing. Trying to get approval. In Genesis 28 verses 6 through 9, this is at the point where Rebecca hears Esau scheming to kill his brother. And remember, Rebecca loved Jacob a little bit more than she loved Esau. And so she made a plan of her own to send Jacob to her cousin to be able to marry within the family instead of like Esau who married outside of the family. And Esau overhears this conversation between his parents talking about how she doesn't want Jacob, her favorite, to marry one of these wives like Esau's, send him away somewhere else. And instead of being focused on, well, how am I going to get Jacob? Look what happens in 28 verses 6 through 9. It says, Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife, and that he warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padan Aram. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. Notice that it says that his father. This is, this is a deep moment, guys. Because what that implies is that he already knew that his mom didn't like his wives. But now, the parent that he leaned towards, that he found comfort in, he says, now I realize that not even my own dad likes me. Not even my own dad likes my, my wives. So this is a point where it hurts even deeper. He already accepted that his mom is never going to like his wives. But now... He's realizing his dad doesn't like him either. This is, this is pretty heavy. And so it says, So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters, in addition to the wives he already had. His new wife's name was Mahalath, and she was the sister of Nebaioth and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Dude, this... When I, I feel like when I read this story for the second time and I realized what Esau did out of pure motivation to get his parents' approval to, with the, just a simple heart of trying to please his parents, it made me weep, guys. I mean, he just wanted so badly for his parents to love him, but he was so conditioned to believe that he had to perform for that love 
that he goes out and marries a third wife. I mean, this is this is a like Jerry Springer on crack. Like this is hardcore family issues, and and he he goes out not to not because he fell in love with this girl, not because he thought she was so gorgeous, but literally just to please his parents. That is the like a deep root of trying to people please like no other. When this aspect of people pleasing, I think most of us like to believe that we're not people pleasers. I just, I keep it real. I say things as they are. You know, that's just how I am. And if, and a lot of us think that we are not people pleasers. I, I project to you that the majority of us are people pleasers without even realizing it. Think about it. You hate your boss and you say, yes, sir. <laughs> like, I get like being respectful and all that, but even so many times I would see people talk trash about their manager, about their boss, and literally kiss their butt whenever they would show up. Not talking about just like, oh, yes, sir, like, yeah, we're gonna do it. But I'm talking about like, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, acting like they're best buds. It's like, dude, you're like, you are people pleasing, you're butt kissing like no other. And some of y'all are like, some of y'all are either thinking about coworkers or some of y'all are like, well, it's not like that because <laughs> it's you. Think about this. If you think that you're not a people pleaser, how many times have you had horrible service? The food was bad. The service was bad. And you said, thank you and left a tip. You're people pleasing. Now, look, I'm a, I'm a pro tipper. Okay. I tip when people give me horrible service, no matter what minimum 20%. Because I usually write something on the car that the receipt that says Jesus loves you, like I gotta tip you, but and it says love your enemies, right? But even just as a common, not not trying to be super spiritual, just as an individual, we thank people for even giving bad service. We thank the server, like thank you, it's great, and you just got done saying how you didn't like it. It's people pleasing, and that's just with complete strangers. I, how much more within our own families do we have this subconscious heart to people please? And it's a prison that we lock ourselves into to where we will continue to inflict our own selves, destroy our own futures, our own hearts in order to please the very ones that hurt us. It is, it, I've seen it so many times. People have an abusive relationship and they allow themselves to be hurt over and over and over while they while trying to over and over and over please the very person that's hurting them and for some reason we believe well maybe one day they'll change and what do you think that change is like really unpack that change the change is that maybe one day they'll really just respond to me in a loving way that I want. Maybe one day they'll, they'll actually treat me the way that I really want them to treat me. And that's with dignity, that's with love, that's with affection. Maybe one day they'll change. And so you please and please and please. And what you're doing is you're trying to get a type of approval. And guys, it's a prison. It is a complete prison. And you're, you're not allowing yourself to heal when you continue to allow that person to 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 cut that that wound that keeps trying to scab over you're allowing them to just pick it off over and over and it's never healing the 
the the prison of a grudge is you inflicting yourself. The prison of people pleasing is allowing the person that inflicted you afflicted you to afflict you over and over and over. You cannot live in a people pleasing uh, life. We have to check ourselves and identify these these things that we do. And so we we look at Esau. And we see these traits of holding grudges, just like so many of us, Thanksgiving coming up, and you're already dreading seeing this person or that person. We talked about him having this habit of people-pleasing, of doing things that he doesn't want to do in order to gain the affection or love of people that should have already loved him in the first place. And he's hurting his own future. He's putting on all of this weight himself. And we talked about how all of this, these habits came from some really heavy family disappointments that he experienced from his own parents, from his own sibling. We talked about some really serious stuff of a conditional love, of manipulative relationships, and just being a misfit and not fitting in with your own family. All of us, all of us can relate to these aspects, at least one and now I want us to, to drive home what this is all about. And that's finding freedom. Freedom is in forgiveness. Freedom is in forgiveness. Forgiveness causes you to see people without the stains of their past. Forgiveness causes you to see people, to see others, to see your family without the stains of their past. And I really believe that causes us to be able to look in the mirror without the scars that people have given us. When you hold, when you hold on to unforgiveness, when you hold on to those grudges, when you hold on to people pleasing, when you look in the mirror, you see a scarred person of what other people have, have done to you. You see an abused person and you see all the scars of pain and trauma. But when you forgive, you're able to look at yourself without the scars of your past. And then you're able to look at other people without the stains of their past. As we continue in, in, the, in Jacob and Esau's story, what we see is that Jacob, who we'll talk about another week actually, Jacob, when he moves away, he actually gets a taste of his own medicine. He gets the, deceived. He gets things stolen from him. He gets tricked. He gets abuse from family in, the, in very similar ways to the way he abused his brother Esau. And he got what was coming to him in a lot of ways. And, and before he was always the one staying at home, he had to spend 14 years in order to get the wife that he wanted. He spent 14 years in the blistering sun. So now all of a sudden he's starting to realize what it was actually like for his brother Esau to work outside. He's actually taking moments where he's at taking small steps in his brother's shoes and realizing how much harder it was that Esau actually made it look easy. And he goes through all this pain and now he's, he's on his way back to his hometown. He now has children, he has his wife, he has a couple of uh, extra wife and some, he has his own Jerry Springer stuff going on, but he's on his way back. And all of a sudden he find Esau finds out. And the Bible says that Esau is coming to meet him. He left off on a really bad rap. The last thing he left on was my brother is going to kill me 
as soon as our father dies. And so now he's going to home and Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men following him. So he's shaking in his boots and he's like, man, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill my family. He's going to, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? And he's literally shaking. And he's at this point where he's already had to take so much of his own medicine that he's at this point to where instead of trying to run away and live a life of running away, he's at this point where he's ready to like in the, the most, <laughs> as hard as it was, face it, whatever his brother's going to do at this moment. He has a decision to, to, to keep going. And it says in chapter 33, verse 1 through 4, when they finally get up to meeting each other, Jacob literally sent hundreds of cattle and different animals and gifts to Esau ahead of him to try to appease his anger. And now it says, then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went ahead. Stop right there. This dude is kind of messed up. He puts his favorite kids at the farthest away from Esau and the men. So if they start killing everyone, they could run, they'll, they'll most likely make it. And he puts the kids from his servant wives closest to him to where if they if they're first in line to where if they start killing they're gonna most likely get it first so the least favorited are the first while the most favorited are last and and jacob goes ahead of his children and it says then jacob went ahead and as he approached his brother he bowed to the ground seven times before him What's going to happen, right? What's going to happen? He bowed seven times before him, and he's probably just shaking like, oh my God, like what's going to happen? And then it says, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. This is an emotional story. This is years leaving off on a grudge. And he thought his brother was going to downright kill him when he saw him again. But what happened while, while Jacob was getting a, a taste of his own medicine, learning what it's like to walk in Esau's shoes, and because of all of his actions, he's living in fear of punishment. He's living in fear of his future. He has his own prisons. But with Esau, what we see at some point, he found the freedom that his dad told him about long ago. That when he decided to, he'd be able to shake those chains from his neck and find freedom. And that was in the forgiveness. What I see here is one of the most authentic uh, ex expressions, experiences of forgiveness that we see in scripture. It says that he ran to meet his brother out of, out of pure emotion. Think about this story, guys. He didn't, he, this shows that he had no grudge at this point. Even if you were still trying to forgive the person, you'd be walking up to them like, I got to let it go. I got to let it go. I got to just move on. I got to forgive them. The fact that he ran shows that he forgave Jacob some time ago. 
and he was waiting for the moment to just embrace his brother. Not a person that hurt him, but his brother. And it says that they both wept. I really believe that when you go through extreme forgiveness, it brings about tears. What it shows is that that you are able to experience forgiveness and still be emotional about what happened. You are able to experience freedom of forgiveness while still having the emotions of the pain sometimes. And it, it has this moment where they both wept. As we continue this story, what happens next says that then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant. Jacob replied, Then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah and her children. They bowed before him. And finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. Just a side note, the reason I emphasize on earlier on the children the way they were ordered, it just shows Jesus when he says, the first will be last and the last will be first. The very, the very ones that were uh, put last in, in, in Jacob's eyes, as far as being able to run away, <laughs> the least important to him, were the children that got to meet their uncle for the very first time first. This most amazing, loving, forgiving uncle that, that cares about his family. They got to meet him first while, while the, the first ended up being last. And so just an interesting note. And then, it's, and then Esau says, What are all these flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked. Jacob replied, They are a gift, my Lord, to ensure your friendship. Jacob says to ensure your friendship. He's saying, I'm your servant to ensure your friendliness to me. To ensure your friendship. And look what Esau says. Esau says, my brother, I have plenty. Keep what you have for yourself. Dude, I'm, like, I'm getting blown away by Esau's level of forgiveness. While Jacob puts up friend, <laughs> Esau replies saying, you're my brother. I know about our past, but I don't see you with all those stains. I see you as, as my brother. It, with all that he did to him, there's, he was able to still see Jacob as his brother before the pain, when they were just kids and they could just play in the field together. He saw his brother like that instead of all the stains that they experienced. And this is just so moving because this is a forgiveness that frees you from feeling owed. This level of forgiveness that, he, that Esau has gotten to is free, literally free freed him from the feeling of being owed. He has no debt to where, you know, all those times like, if it was, if he was still battling forgiveness, he would have responded like, well, that was the least you could do. I, 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 that's, that's enough, I guess, after everything you did for me, did to me. But instead he says, I have plenty. You don't owe me anything. That's a heavy, heavy level of forgiveness that Esau is throwing at his brother. And, and what happens in this part of the story is something so peculiar because right after this, 
Esau says, all right, well, let's get going. We got a lot to catch up about. And Jacob says, no, no, you go on ahead and I'll meet you there. We got all these kids with us. We got, you know, we have a lot to walk with and we'll just drag you down. We'll slow you down. So you go on ahead and we'll catch up. And Esau's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, we'll catch up when we get there. So I was, well, you know, all right, well, I guess I'll meet you there. And Jacob lied to his brother and he went in the complete opposite direction. Jacob was so imprisoned by the fear of being punished, the fear of not truly being forgiven, that he ran from his brother again, lied again. And he'd start thinking, well, maybe he's only doing this because he doesn't want to kill me in front of my kids. <laughs> and, he, and he lied again and, and ran, ran the complete opposite direction of his brother. And some people believe, some theologians, some preachers believe that Esau was going to kill him. And that's why his brother, he started pick, that's why his brother still left. And that if he would have went, he would have still, Esau would have still killed his brother. And that's why he fled. And I, I really don't believe that. Because the last thing that Jacob said, that Esau said about his brother before he moved away the first time was I'm going to kill him as soon as our father dies. I don't want to bring a burden onto my own parents by killing their son, but as soon as they're gone, I'm going to take my revenge. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 27 through 29, it says, So Jacob returned to his father Isaac in Mamre. This is years later, which is near Kiriat Arpa, now called Hebron where Abraham and Isaac had both lived as foreigners. Isaac lived 180 years, and then he breathed his last and died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. His sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. If Esau truly had not forgiven Jacob, this would have been the moment where he would have got revenge. His father is now dead. What he said years ago in his emotional anger, he's now at that point to get his revenge. And he doesn't do it. Because I truly believe that, when, that what his father told him that day about when you decide to get free from your brother, you will. And that freedom he was talking about is forgiveness. And even though... All that his brother did to him, he was able to forgive him. And because he forgave, he still had plenty his own ancestry. He had all these children. He had more than enough to, to where he had uh, cattle, people, ser servants, all these 400 men. I mean, you got to be pretty wealthy to get 400 men to just like, like ride around with you uh, on a trip to go meet your brother. I mean, this dude became wealthy even though everything that his brother did to him made it out that his future was not going to be anything greater. So he got everything that he wanted, and, but it was only because he didn't live in unforgiveness. He found freedom in forgiving his brother. And I want us to, to resonate with this, this part of the story. Because even here, we see that Esau accepted his brother Jacob for who he was. He didn't see him as the stains of his past mistakes and even his ongoing mistakes. There's a moment where Esau just 
just accepted that that's just how my brother is. I don't know why he's like that, but that's just how he is. And it's almost like he was able to accept that. And because he did, he's able to find peace and freedom in his own heart, in his own conscience. While his brother, while Jacob was still stirring up all this stuff, the rest of his life, he literally lived in fear because he was always afraid that, that he was going to get the punishment he deserved. But because, he, but because Esau lived in forgiveness, we end his story here and we end it seeing that he was prosperous, that he was wealthy, that he had children, that he had peace and freedom in his life. And it all came about because he was able to forgive his brother. I want you to resonate with that. As we close out, I want you to think about the people that you need to forgive in your life. And as we go through all of this, nowhere does it justify what Jacob did to him, what his parents did to him. It doesn't, forgiveness doesn't justify the person for doing wrong. Forgiveness is accepting injustice for yourself. That's, it doesn't justify the wrong. It only it, it allows yourself to accept an injustice served. It, it's so important to really understand how simple forgiveness is. We unpacked the, the extreme depths of forgiveness. But in reality, guys, I want y'all to understand that forgiveness is actually so simple. Forgiveness is being willing to accept an injustice and not hold punishment over the person that hurts you. If you've been struggling with this idea of like, well, did I really forgive them because I still feel hurt? This is what you need to understand. If, if it was judgment day and God had, is standing, you're standing before God and God tells you, I saw what this person did to you and how much they hurt you. And then he brings them forward and then asks you, you, you have the right to hold that judgment over them because of what they did to you. Do you want me to punish them? And at that moment, if you were to say, no, I don't want them to be punished for what they did to me, that's forgiveness. It still can hurt. You could still feel emotional about it. But that simplicity of forgiving, that is that is as simple as forgiveness is. You don't need to um you don't need to get so complex and second guess, did I really forgive them? That's what forgiveness is. Now when you go into the depths of deep forgiveness to where you're finding healing and freedom in your heart, that's really what we unpack today. I want you to also understand that with different levels of uh forgiveness, it does not require you to allow yourself to continue to be hurt. You can, you can forgive somebody, that, but that doesn't mean that you have to let them to continue to hurt you. You can resist. You, you, can, uh, you can accept that something wrong was done to you, but doesn't mean that you have to allow something wrong to continue to be done to you. You need to protect yourself. The Bible says to guard your heart above all else. And so don't allow yourself to be a punching bag or a doormat to anybody, especially family members. Those are the moment, those, those relationships are where we feel most confused and where we often put ourselves in, in horrible, confusing, uh, bad situations over and over 
again because we feel like we have to because we're family. No, dog. You don't need to do that. You don't have to you don't have to continue to put up with being mistreated. It's okay to give space. It's okay to put boundaries and you can still operate in forgiveness with boundaries around you. I hope that resonates with what uh with everything that we're saying. And I want to just abundantly make it clear that that when people hurt you, it there's times where we can understand where that where that comes from. It's like that classic saying that hurt people hurt people. Dude, that's so very true. There's there's a lot of truth to that statement that hurt people hurt people. So many times we think that our parents are bad, but then we realize what their grand what our grandparents were like for them. We're like, dang, like you actually took it easy on me compared to them. And that that statement is so true that hurt people hurt people. But also, I want you to understand that that's not universal. There are times where people that have it easy hurt people. People that haven't been hurt at all hurt people. There's there's so many times where uh, even parents, family members, whatever, hurt you for no good reason. And it wasn't because they were previously hurt. It's not even complicated. It's not like this long history of, of childhood traumas that caused them to be the way that they are. It's actually sometimes people are so overly selfish that they act in an impulsive moment to take from you in order for them to benefit. And there's so much abuse that happens from just selfish impulses and it has no complexity to it. There's no history to it. There's no childhood traumas that they went through. It's just a simple fact of them being incredibly selfish and willing to be that towards you, to where it hurts you, but they still feel good. And so don't think for a moment that somebody that did something wrong for you, that you should feel pity for every person that did something wrong for you, wrong to you. That's not necessarily true. There's times where it's like, dang, you messed up. You are a messed up person. You're kind of crazy. And that's it. Like they need to, like they're going to have to have, just like Jacob, he's going to have to go to his, his own crap. He's going to have to go through his own trials to, in order to have a life check. But notice that when he did all the stuff to his brothers, to his brother Esau, he had it easy compared to Esau, and he still took from him. He still stole from him. He still attacked his brother for no good reason. And he had it easy. He had it good in comparison. And so again, hurt people hurt people, but sometimes people that have had no pain at all only hurt you because they're incredibly selfish. I hope that makes sense. And as we close out, I want you to think about this big thing that I said. Said that forgiveness allows you to see people without the stains of their past. That is how God forgives us. See, even with Jacob, he battled his demons and the skeletons in his closet the rest of his life. But he had a moment where he met God and he really had this turn to God moment, this turn to Jesus moment where he changed. But what was so difficult for him is to see himself 
in this light of forgiveness, see himself without the stains of his past, to see himself as truly forgiven by God. And he lived the rest of his life thinking that God was waiting to just slam dunk him to hell, just waiting to punish him for all the things he did. But the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he, he made a pathway of forgiveness for us to be truly forgiven to where the Bible says that he wipes away a multitude of sins. It gives imagery that, it, that it's like we've been dipped in a, the, the, a bleach that is, makes us whiter than snow. It just makes us so, so pure and so clean. It, to where there's not any stain on it. There's not any blemish on it. And I want you to, to take a moment to think about what we talked about today. And there's multiple points where I think you need to pray about. Maybe you're at a point where you're a Christian and you are thinking about the childhood disappointments, the family ongoing disappointments. You're thinking about uh, these moments of in your life and your family that you need to move on from, that you need to forgive, and you realize, man, I need to let go of this grudge, or I need to stop trying to please them. I'm never going to be able to please them because of the way their mindset is. I don't have to live my life trying to get their approval or trying to please them. I need to move on. I need to forgive and find freedom in my life. And I want you to just, if that's you, I want you to just pray to God right now, and I want you to literally just pray, God, I forgive this person and I don't want you to punish them for what they did to me. You need to make a serious prayer like that. And when you get tears, I mean, I feel like tears just breed authenticity. I mean, you need to, you need to really make that prayer. And if you feel tears, it's okay. And if maybe you don't feel tears right now, maybe you grit your teeth right now and you feel the tears later, that's okay. You need to know that the action of forgiveness is an, it, it's an action, but the emotions, it's still okay to feel the emotions of the pain. You might forgive right now and in years later, it still might, you might still feel the grieve, the grieving of not having the family member that you wanted. You grieving the hurt and the pain, that's okay. You still forgave them, you just still feel the pain every now and then. That's okay. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like, man, I, I need to make the step with just being able to be seen by God in this way, of feeling this freedom of forgiveness of my sins, of not feeling this wedge between me and God my whole life. I want to be able to feel this clean relationship to where I don't feel like I have all these, these demons in my, in my closet, all these skeletons in my closet. I want God to see me without the stains of my past. The Bible says that if you simply believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is who he said he is, that surely you shall be saved. Surely you shall be forgiven. Surely you shall be set free. Like all these beautiful things. And what that means to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, it just means to say it out loud, to have a conversation with God, a prayer, and to mean it in your heart. And so if that's you, all you have to do is pray and say, Jesus, I, I really believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. And I want to have this forgiven relationship with you. And I want to walk out forgiveness in my family and the rest of my relationships. 
but I need to start with you, God, and I want to feel this freedom with you. Will you be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul? Will you help me to understand your love and receive your love and help me to share that love with others? If that was you today and you prayed any of these prayers, we, we would just so love to connect with you. Church is about community and connection. And it is so important to connect with fellow believers to encourage one another. We edify each other. And so please, if, if you have been tuning on to Gravetop Church, but you haven't yet connected to Gravetop Church, we would love for you to make the step and make the leap because we value you. Um, with, the, with this message today that, that, that closes us on finding freedom, this is part two of our Family Matters series. I hope that you've enjoyed it so far. I feel like, as we shared it this morning, I feel like everybody in the room uh, in our in-person gathering was holding back tears. I feel like everybody is like, I'm not going to cry. Okay. And every one of us were resonating and thinking about these moments and these family issues that, that we often just bury deep down. And as we are getting ready for like Thanksgiving and holidays, it's a moment where a lot of it gets stirred up. And so I hope that this, this series is just edifying for you and that's helpful. And as we close out, I want to let you know that um, if you have it on your heart to give today, you can do that by just going to uh, gravetop.com, click the Give tab, and you can give online from there. You can also give through third-party apps like Venmo or Cash App. Um, but we want you to know that when you just make the choice, because it is a choice, you have the freedom to choose to give, to donate, to trust Gravetop Church with your donation, with an offering to God. But when you do that, it truly empowers us and, and helps us to be able to continue to be Gravetop Church, to be the church that you connect with, that you're able to really find these meaningful messages that you haven't been able to find before. So even be able to find connection, you, you, uh, you really help produce in these stories that we have of people finding freedom in their life and just finding value in a relationship with God that they didn't have before. And so, again, when you give, you truly become a part in Grape Top Church doing that. And we, like we always say, we want you to know that it, you have the freedom to do it and that you should never do it out of pressure or persuasion from a person, but that it is an unction of the Holy Spirit and that when God presents an opportunity for you to connect like that and you know that it's like God moving on your heart, it is such a special act of worship when we do that. Um, that being said, I love you guys so much. We are so grateful for church online. It gives everybody a second chance, right? When If we miss church this morning, like, well, I will catch it online. It gives us that, that grace that we need. Um, and it just really helps us to stay connected, especially during these times. I love y'all so much. I hope that y'all have a great rest of your evening. Be sure to, to share this message with somebody else. Like, comment at whatever time period you listen to this. Just let us know that that this was valuable to you, that it was edifying to you. And we love you. We hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. 
And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.